Just a quick note about today's episode. When I first set out to create this podcast, I wanted the focus to be squarely on the songs and albums that have heavily influenced contemporary Christian music, straight from the artists that created them, a sort of VH1 storytellers meets behind the music. I try to balance between remaining a neutral storyteller and to let the artist's words stand on their own and be what they are, and wanting to contribute to conversations of faith, and to always, always espouse truth. So while Jennifer holds a Master of Theological Studies degree, she doesn't consider herself an evangelical Christian anymore. Many of her responses in this episode reflect that shift, and not necessarily my views. My prayer is that these stories will lead to deeper thinking, deeper conversations, deeper conviction, and a deeper faith. And now, on with the episode. Welcome to the CCM Deep Dive Podcast, as we go song by song and story by story through some of Christian music's most influential albums with the artists who created them. It's time to grab your coffee and settle in. Let's go. very vulnerable position to say, you know what, today I really actually need you to say out loud that you love me. You know, whatever, you know, you don't have to have done anything wrong or screwed anything up. Just sometimes we really have a need to say out loud, I need to audibly hear you say, I need to physically feel, I need you to show up right now to this place and tell me that I am loved. Welcome to Hold Me Now, track number nine on Jennifer Knapp's debut album, Kansas, the little song about the power of forgiveness from one's past and the compassion that Jesus showed to those the world may cast aside. While the message may be weighty, the song itself is pretty simple. Yeah, I I won't resist simple. I mean, I, I think the idea for this song actually was very simple. There are two stories referenced in this quote, simple song. Both are essentially about women with promiscuous pasts who Jesus saw as new creations. First is the woman who fell at the feet of Jesus and in her shame of past sins, piled on by both others in the room and herself, washed his feet with her tears and anointed them with expensive perfume. Jesus pointed out to the room that because she understood the magnitude of him forgiving her, her love for him was also magnified. Essentially, The greater the debt, the greater the appreciation when that debt is forgiven. Jesus underscores this with the parable found in Luke 7, 40-43. The second story referenced in the song is found in John 8. While Jesus was teaching, a woman was brought to him who had been caught in adultery, which by Old Testament law was punishable by death, by stoning. Jesus didn't deny the law or go against it. He simply invited whichever accuser who had never sinned to throw the first stone. Jesus then turned to the woman and asked, Where are your accusers? Did not even one of them accuse you? To which she replied, No, my Lord. The story ends with Jesus answering, Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Essentially, Jesus was telling her, You are not your past. You are a new creation now. 
and that resonated with Jennifer. I mean, I, frankly, I just felt like very shamed when I came to Christian culture. I mean, in particular, sexual shame. I, this is long before, this is a few years before kind of the, the purity movement had become a branded evangelical uh, commercial tool, let's say. Um, but certainly, you know, in, in evangelical environments uh, and the more conservative are, there's certainly a, you know, it's best to be a virgin when you get married. Well, I came to Christianity. I wasn't a virgin. So that pretty much uh, made me damaged goods. And for some reason or other, my community really enjoyed talking about my damaged nature and how redeemable I was. And thank God, you know, it just was just this really shaming experience. Um, so I just set out to kind of be subversive and write a song that that dealt with that. I mean, and in, so in the story and the the question mark that, you know, uh, debatably the relationship between Mary and Magdalene was a place that that I found like some comfort in. The church has a long and complicated history with trying to uphold God's standards, especially with regards to sexual purity, without condemnation calling believers to a higher standard in truth and love, not out of a place of Pharisaic piety, but out of a genuine desire to see the kingdom of God reflected on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes the church has gotten it right, and other times very wrong. The stories that Jennifer referenced in this song were about Jesus seeing the women as contrite, forgiven, and beautiful believers of the good news, calling them to a new life found only in Him. So while He met them where they were, He didn't leave them there. He called the women, as he does all of us, to go and sin no more. But these stories raise some questions for Jennifer. I was thinking about what that meant in context to, you know, intimacy. What does it mean to be connected to God in some way? And is really the, why are we basically, basically this is my subversive way of saying, why are we preoccupied with sex? Intimacy is intimacy. And what is holy in intimacy doesn't, isn't going to be defiled by, or isn't the, the ability for that to remain pure isn't about like what's going to what we can prescribe to keep it defiled. It's going to be in the in the honesty and and the legitimacy of the love and the intimacy that that's that's putting that forth. And so I love I I think I chose this and found this provocative the, the kind of the relationship which is essentially Mary Magdalene physically touching the feet of Jesus and having this really emotional moment and playing that picture out going, I know that if I intimately touch somebody and, you know, was on my knees at a man's feet today and rubbing my feet all over his hair that today that somebody would think that I had a sexual relationship with that person. So, and would be getting all up in arms about whether or not this was an appropriate behavior. In this song, nobody's going to say, I knew that nobody would say that about Jesus because we practiced this story so much and we've glorified how great Jesus is that this slutty woman has been forgiven all for sins. And so I I really wanted to be able to use that to, as a way of channeling my own thing. And also I think is one of the first times and I, I think this song, I, I look back going, wow, I've been contesting some of these ideas for a very long time and from the very beginning because I knew, like, it, it, felt, it, felt, it did feel like such a bait and switch early on in my life to be able to come to Christianity, to feel like that was an unconditional exchange, and then to get there and to be shamed for what I came with. And, you know, to be able to kind of walk into those rooms, the kind of courage it took for me to take to go, no, I really want to be here, and I, I feel like God is going to honor my 
my showing up here. And then you guys, you remind me of all of the things that made it difficult to say yes to coming into this space. So hold me now as evocative of that. And I, I don't ever want to forget about the particular burden that women inside of a the Christian evangelical experience, the extra burden, I think, that are it's placed on women and their sexual purity that is often a preoccupation with their holiness and their judgment and their standing in a community that continues to be treated with suspicion on a variety of levels, which, you know, includes how much space we get inside those environments to lead, to be representative, to be considered, you know, um, not damaged goods by the judgment of what is essentially male authorities. So Jesus didn't do it. And I'm saying maybe we shouldn't either. (laughs) Jennifer wrote Hold Me Now when she was at the beginning of her faith journey nearly 30 years ago. But since that time, she's developed challenges with the song and its meaning. Yeah. And I think I I have some some discomfort with this song from time to time because I have like I have a real problem with this idea, you know, that that we're always in this powerless position, right? When we come to God, that we're always in this broken and this fractured position when we come to God. And while I would say, I I would say like, I was definitely having to work through that at the time that I was writing these songs. I think it's, and I think it's also emblematic even at our lowest low, I think it's true that God can see something redeemable, not like to rescue, but is standalone at its state in its current state needs no justification for God's willing want and and it's not conditional. Whatever state we are found in, that is the state we are in. Whatever need we have in that, we will be comforted to wholeness and healing. But it's not necessarily about recovering into some rightness in order to to be made whole again. I I, I would stand by that. But in in that, I, I agree with you. I, and I think that was kind of my willingness to allow this. And I, I think one of the reasons why I'm still able to play this song today is that. Even with that being the state that we're in, I will stand by that. God will see us. God will respond. Like, in fact, probably with a lot less anxiety than we have in saying that out loud, right? Like, it's really, and I talk about this in other contexts and other songs throughout the course of my history. Like, it's a very vulnerable position to say, you know what, today, I really actually need you to say out loud that you love me. you know, whatever, you know, you don't have to have done anything wrong or screwed anything up. Just sometimes we really have a need to say out loud, I need to audibly hear you say, I need to physically feel, I need you to show up right now to this place and tell me that I am loved. I don't feel loved and I'd like to hear it right now. And that's a very vulnerable position that we're in. And I think, you know, like I said, it's kind of one of the the only redeemable spots that make me comfortable with with what appears to be a woman in a vulnerable position, I think, is actually a turn of power that says I am actually capable, despite the way that I know this reads to you and everybody else, I'm safe with this other human being who understands that I'm being vulnerable and not weak. And there's a difference between those two. And for Jennifer, the difference is that vulnerability actually shows strength. Yeah, and there is a line in that song that that is explicitly from the mouth of Jesus that says, you know, she's strong enough to stand on my love. Like there there is an understanding of something that it takes a certain amount of courage to be able to be that vulnerable. It takes a certain amount of strength. And, you know, I, I think these are, at, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, I can't say that I, I knew 
I knew that thing, knew that, but I think there are the kind of the when you go to writing the poetry of them and, and kind of have these things play out that it teaches you something while you're in the middle of of trying to sort these things out. You you kind of have to write it down. You have to go through the experience of like, what am I trying to say? What is the picture that I see in my mind? And you paint that picture and then you can kind of see it a little bit more clearly of something that you you feel like is kind of niggling at your heart. During her time in the contemporary Christian music industry, Jennifer released three studio albums, Kansas in 1998, Lay It Down, released in 2000, and The Way I Am, released in 2001, all with Goatee Records. The articulate, highly educated, independent-thinking Jennifer didn't always toe the company line with the business side of CCM. Trying to stretch the boundaries of what is conventional to mainstream Christian thinking provided some points of friction for the artist, many of which remain today. Yeah, I mean, I think with... Yeah, as a creative person in particular, too, I think, you know, something happens when we just try and and th- I think painting is a really great example. I mean, I can, mim- you know, you can make a realistic, you know, there are artists who can make a realistic facsimile and look, you know, look like they've literally taken a, like paint a picture that makes it look like you in real life or like at, at best, like a piece of film, right? Like a camera that's taken a photograph of you. And I, I think that that can see certain things, but it's, you know, it, there's something about being able to that we do demand of our art at some point, not in all art, but in 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 some of our art, we we do expect to see the things that we can't actually draw out literally. <laughs> and the second that you attempt to actually paint them literally or to do them where the thing that you're attempting to communicate is actually lost. Like if all I want to do is take a picture of something and retransmit it, that is not capturing the essence of the thing that is hard to figure out how you transmit with it. Cause you can't, you know, I, I guess if you want to put it to a faith-based kind of language, it's like, how do you, uh, you know, how do you tr- share something and describe something with another individual across from you of something that you can neither see nor really fully, fully put your finger on? And as a singer and songwriter, there are some things that like I can attempt to write. And we'll probably talk about this in the in the in the midst of my own work, even in Kansas. I think once you start to do that, literally, it's a difference between something that we say is like kind of camp or literal, you know, literalism in that sense. It just kind of doesn't have the poetry. It doesn't have the evocative kind of emotionally moving nature to see something in its cold retransmitted form than to give it some poetry. And I think even to some degree, the Bible even shows this. I mean, we, you know, the the Proverbs aren't just wisdom, they're poetry. It's it's their metaphors for other understanding instead of just a script for, you know, when, you know, when you get to the bank, these are the things that I want you to do. Like we don't, we don't really talk that way. We were talking about kind of in greater terms to understand that there's sometimes a greater mission behind the literal things that we do. So Christian music is ironic because it is, it is really only one of the genres whose outside of any other genre that you can think, whether it's pop, rock, rap, hip hop, or whatever, where the lifestyle of the artist is central to the idea and that the idea being transmitted by the music is central to the establishment of the genre. So it's not based on a musical style. It's not based really necessarily on um, a wider community. Although, yes, it is culturally, but it's, it's become kind of default evangelical Christianity. So it's no longer a representation of, you know, mainline Protestantism or Catholics or the Christianities, 
that exist in our world. It's kind of just this one default. And to be able to qualify for that is, yeah, is is it allowed by the gatekeepers who say that it is Christian music? And and I that it has to sound like, you know, not only does it have to be recognizable, but it also has to sound recognizable to that mission. At which point I go, that's not art anymore. And that's not actually... It's, it will be inevitably challenged to be a cultural reflection because it has not been given permission to be a reflection of a people or of a culture, but it has made a requirement to be the propaganda that gets in line with the ideology of that culture. And there's a big difference between that. One's the difference between art and propaganda. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we wrap up the Kansas album with Jennifer Knapp's song, Visions. Thank you.